0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and the subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. I'm so excited to be visiting this place.
1: I know. It was so nice of Angelo to invite us to see him at the Slipper Room.
0: And I'm also excited to see a burlesque show. Come to think of it, my first burlesque show.
1: Really? You've never seen a burlesque show until tonight?
0: Not unless you count what we saw
1: last evening, no. Oh wow, then you are in for a real treat. Get excited! We better hurry so we aren't late.
0: Sounds good to me. Lead on!
1: to stage whisper i'm your host hope bird and with me is my co-host andrew cortez
0: today we are going to be discussing the legendary show gypsy
1: so hurry and take your seats it looks like the show is starting
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Curtain up, light the lights, you've got nothing to hit but the heights. That's right, folks, we are diving into the life and times of the legendary Gypsy Rose Lee as we discuss the groundbreaking show, Gypsy.
1: For this episode, we are mainly going to be focusing on the most recent revival in 2008. But we, of course, can't see where we are without acknowledging our past, So, bringing in our tale, we have to go back, way back, to the show's inception in 1959.
0: The show is loosely based on the 1957 memoirs of striptease artist Gypsy Rose Lee. Excuse me, Gypsy Rose Lee. The character of Louise is based on herself. June is based on the actress June Havoc. And Rose is based on their mother, Rose Evangeline Havoc or Thompson.
1: This great American musical is considered one of the crowning achievements of the mid-century. It helped progress the book musical into what we know it to be today. The show was a project of producer David Merrick and actress Ethel Merman.
0: Turning our attention to the 2008 production, the show was directed by Arthur Laurents, the set was by James Yoment, costumes by Martin Packardenis, Reproduction of choreography by Bonnie Walker. Lights by Howell Binkley. Sound by Dan Moss Schreyer. Hair by Paul Huntley. And makeup by Angelina Avalon. The music was by Jules Style. Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. And the book was by Arthur Lorenz. The original direction and choreography was by Jerome Robbins. Irving Berlin and Cole Porter both declined Jerome Robbins' offer to compose the show. When Robbins asked Sondheim to compose after a successful relationship with West Side Story, he agreed. Merman did not want an unknown composer to write the show and requested Jules Stein to write the music. At first, Sondheim refused to only write lyrics, but was persuaded by Oscar Hammerstein II to accept the job.
1: The original cast album with Merman was Ethel Merman's first recordings with the then-new stereophonic sound technology.
0: Gypsy was adapted as a TV movie in 1993 with Bette Midler playing Rose. Midler won a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a miniseries or motion picture made for TV. For its time, it was a rare example of a TV project being sung live and not lip-synced over a pre-recorded track.
1: The original production opened on Broadway on May 21st, 1959 at the Broadway Theater. It then moved to the Imperial Theater in 1960, closing on March 25, 1961. It originally ran on Broadway for 702 performances. Since then, it has been revived four times. The latest revival opened on March 27, 2008, at the same St. James Theater, and ran for 322 performances, closing on January 11, 2009.
0: The 2008 production was nominated for seven Tony Awards and won uh, for Best Featured Actress, Lauren Benati; Best Featured Actor, Boyd Gaines; and finally, Best Actress. Patty LaPone. The 1959
1: and 2003 cast albums each won a Grammy for Best Original Cast uh, Cast Show Album.
0: So we've set the stage. Now let's storm the floorboards.
1: We start the show at an audition for a children's vaudeville show put on by Uncle Jaco. Here we see baby June and her sister Louise perform their kitty act, May We Entertain You. June is an extroverted, talented child star, and Louise is the slightly older shy one.
0: We are introduced to the girl's mother, Rose, as she interrupts their performance to remind Louise to sing out. Rose is the archetype of a stage mother. She is aggressive, domineering, and is always pushing her children to perform.
1: They sing their song over and over again at different shows on the circuit, with June always as the centerpiece and Louise often as one of the many backup dancer boys. Rose has big dreams for the girls, but encounters many setbacks, such as attempting to borrow money from her father, but to no success.
0: When Rose meets a former agent, Herbie, she persuades him to become their manager using her seductive and feminine wiles. The girls grow up, and June is now billed as Dainty June, and her act has the chance to audition for Mr. Goldstone of the Orpheum Circuit.
1: Meanwhile, Louise celebrates her birthday alone and asks her birthday present, a baby lamb, just how old she is that year. After Rose rejects Herbie's marriage proposal, he considers leaving, but she asserts that he could never really get away from her.
0: Now billed as dainty June and her farm boys, the act finally performs on the Orpheum circuit. June is soon offered a place at a performing arts school after the audition. However, Rose turns this down, refusing to break up the act.
1: Louise and June fantasize what life would be like if Rose were married and finished with show business. A few months later, still on the road from from show to show, Tulsa, one of the boys from the act, confides in Louise that he has been working on his own act. Louise fantasizes that she and he could do the act together.
0: Shortly after, June is missing, and in a note, she explains that she she has grown sick of her mother and the endless tour... Has eloped with Tulsa and they will do a new act. Rose is hurt but then optimistically vows that when she will then she will make Louise a star, proclaiming that everything's coming up roses.
1: Louise is now a young woman and Rose has built a pale imitation of the Dainty June act for her. Using all girls, Rose and Herbie try. Valiantly to sell Madame Rose's toradorables to a fading vaudeville industry.
0: Louise tells Mama that she's sorry she's not June. Rose, Herbie, and Louise sing about how they might not have a lot, but they are still together.
1: With no vaudeville venues left, Louise and her second-rate act wind up accidentally booked at a burlesque house in Wichita, Kansas, as a means to deter the police raids
0: rose is anguished as she sees what a booking and burlesque means to her dreams of success but louise persuades her that two weeks pay for the new act is better than unemployment
1: as they are introduced to louise three of the strippers on the bill advise her on what it takes to be a successful stripper a gimmick something that makes your strip special
0: backstage rose proposes marriage to herbie he asks her to break up the act and let Louise have a normal life. She reluctantly accepts, agreeing to marry the day after their show closes.
1: On the last day of the booking, the star stripper in the burlesque show is arrested for solicitation. Desperate, Rose cannot resist the urge to give Louise another nudge towards stardom, and she volunteers Louise to do the striptease at a last minute as a last minute replacement.
0: Louise is sad at what she's being pushed to do for her mother's love, and Herbie is disgusted at how low Rose has stooped, and he finally walks out on her.
1: Although reluctant, Louise goes on, assured by, her mo- by Rose that she needn't actually strip, but simply walk elegantly and tease by dropping a single shoulder strap.
0: Shy and hesitant, she sings a titillating version of the old Kittiak song, May We Entertain You. She removes only her glove, but she speaks directly to her audience, which becomes her gimmick.
1: Louise becomes secure, always following her mother's advice to make them beg for more and then don't give it to them. The song becomes brusher and brassier, and more and more articles of clothing come off.
0: Ultimate, Louise becomes a major burlesque star and does not need her mother anymore. Rose and Louise, who have who have become the sophisticated... Excuse me, Rose and Louise, who has become the sophisticated gypsy Rose Lee, have a bitter argument.
1: Rose, feeling sad, useless, and bitter, reveals that the true motivation for all of her actions has been to live vicariously through her daughters to chase stardom that she wanted for herself and not for her children. She realizes that she has driven away June, Herbie, and now possibly Louise.
0: She displays the talent that could have been under different circumstances as the name Rose flashes in neon lights. After her admission of, to Louise, mother and daughter tentatively move toward reconciliation in the end.
1: Depending on the production, the end has been altered to see a not so happy ending. Sometimes we see Louise walking away as Rose's name in lights slowly fades, in others, we see Rose stare longingly at the stage as the two leave.
0: The The end. end. So, let us now talk about the show. And again, reminding our listeners, we are mainly pertaining to the 2008 production, the Patti LePone version. Um, oh, it's such a good show. It's one of those shows that I feel like a lot of people don't realize that they know or they are familiar with. Um, but it's such a good show.
1: Well, and the, the thing that I really appreciate about the show is... It's such a classic story that all of us are like, oh, yeah, you know, I know that story. But really, this is where that classic story comes from, is Gypsy.
0: Exactly. With so many familiar songs as well. Um, I remember when we were talking and we were going over the story. We actually watched the film to refresh our memory. But as we were talking, you were like, I just I don't think I remember the show. And I was like, no, trust me, you do. And then when we came back, and we met to finalize our script You said there were a lot more songs in the show than I thought. I that I recognized than I thought I did, and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is one of those shows that cranked out hit after hit after hit." You know, in fact, as we just read the summary, I'm sitting there singing the songs. You know, if Mama were married, um, everything's coming up
1: roses. Um, May we entertain you? Even gets stuck in your head, and like even just some of like the underscoring that happens, like that classic. that's Chicago. I just did
0: that. Well, I'm thinking of like Rose's turn. Where did it get me? I mean, it's, it's iconic. It is one of those cornerstone shows that it just gets under your skin, into your veins. And it's, 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 it's an artery of the, of the theater, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, pertaining to the 2008 production. I want to start with the costumes. They were just this beautiful, classic, iconic look. Very perfect for the time. Very simple. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You didn't need a lot to... Well, I mean, of course, they didn't have a lot. I mean, you weren't going to get these ornate, you know, follies-looking costumes. Well, no, because it was
1: 1920s, so we had, you know, at least that's where the story starts, is in the 1920s. And by the time we get to the end, we are more in, you know... Great Depression era,
0: but seeing these simple looks—you know, uh, Rose in this blue dress, Louise is in this like gray dress, Herbie's in that gray suit. In fact, that gray suit—I remember when we did Will Rogers Follies and seeing the character of Will Rogers in that gray suit for the Depression. That's exactly what um, Herbie wore. It looked exactly the same, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, they're just very simple, um, and but but. But to counter that, one thing I do remember was the stripper's costumes. Mm-hmm. There were lights in them. You know, I remember like there, if I'm, I mean, look, this was oh, 13 years ago, but I just, I, I, I'm having these flashbacks to like Statue of Liberty and there were lights on the Brazier and everything like that. But they were these fanciful, non-ornate, they, they were just burlesque, you know, mm-hmm. um, Pushing the envelope, obviously you knew what they were—tawdry, tongue-in-cheek, in all the right ways. It was sexy for the theater without being sex. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. It was—it was, it was, it was raunchy
0: th- for the theater.
1: Yes, for the time, but like it's—it's it's that whole burlesque era. Well, well, and... well,
0: but but in this production, the way the strippers were dressed, mm-hmm. it was very. Um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, exaggerated raunch in a theater way.
1: Okay, I can get that.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the... Don't think about the girl with the pasties or in the balloon thing. Mm -hmm. They were meant... Like, you knew that they were strippers, but we were kind of exaggerating that burlesque look in a sense. But it only only is going to make sense and read like that in a theater. If you were seeing this on film or anywhere else, you'd be like, "Mm, this looks... Almost um, cosplay, but because of the where the show, you know, because it was theater, it worked out perfectly. Mm Because of course we're not going to go see nudity. Like this isn't going to be like that. We're not going to get down to where it's pasties and a well placed g string. That's not what we're going to do. It was, and it almost had a hint of old Hollywood too, which was nice. Yeah, and I really appreciated that. We've already mentioned the music and the lyrics. You know, it's legendary, it's smart, it's one of a kind. I think the book goes with it. And I think the book needs to be mentioned. We've already mentioned that it was, a, this is a show that really helped further the American musical with the sense of the book. You know, the book is just as important the music and it really helps push the story and all that. And, and it is. I mean, this is a show where we got a lot of, Plot and story and everything in just the book. And then we had the song that kept the story going. And mm-hmm. not just stop to hear a song. And then we pick up in the book. Everything just kept flowing forward. It was and building and, and building. Exactly. And there's just clever wordplay
1: in there. Well, and the thing I really appreciate about Sondheim's work. Like, I mean, let me just get into it. Like, I think I love Sondheim as a composer, but I particularly love him the most as a lyricist because he is so witty with his lyrics
0: see i think his music and his lyrics mirror each other this is gonna I, look if this doesn't make sense fine but i agree with you i hear his words and his music in the same sense like he yes. there's tongue in cheek in the, his wordplay and everything like that and the same thing in his music yes and i think that's the brilliance of song
1: which is why i mean you know this show is great as is, but I just wonder what it would have been had Ethel Merman not been like, I don't want to, you know, an unknown composer. Like, because, I mean, listen, it's not that I don't like Jules Stein. Like, his no, well, work is I mean, also
0: great. I, I, that would be interesting, but I think, I think Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim worked out so well. They did, but that's. Uh, well, but, no, no, hold on. I think it worked so well for the time I worry that if it had just been Sondheim, this may not have been as successful as it was because it may not have had the audience or the love or the lore or all the parts may not have come together.
1: Because it did need that nostalgia quality that Sondheim wasn't really necessarily working with in his own composing at the time.
0: This was still on the edge of the golden era. It's still a golden era musical. Yes. So it's still there. We haven't broken into the modern musical. We haven't passed Fiddler on the Roof, we haven't hit Hair, and Sondheim is definitely a modern composer. I think it could've, I think this benefited him, but I think you can hear the influence of Sondheim and his lyrics in the music. I'm thinking about these syncopations and like everything's coming up roses, you know. Um, Everything's
1: coming up roses and daffodils. But then you have bum, bum, to bum, ask yourself because we weren't in the room where it happened.
0: <laughs> Terrible. <point.
1: laughs> but you know, was the music infu- influenced by the lyrics, or were the lyrics influenced by the? Well, to me, music? in
0: my opinion, because of course we weren't there, but I think that's synergy. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I will say that I think Stephen Sondheim is a pro at considering who his mentor was Oscar Hammerstein II, is he knew and recognized synergy Mm -hmm. and he understood that the lyrics and the music must feed off and into each other. There's a reason why Rogers and Hammerstein shows are so infectious and so successful, Mm -hmm. you know, because everything works and flows together. And I think that's the brilliance of Sondheim. And if you ever look at a Sondheim score, Holy hell, it's complicated. Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd. Um, Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, I mean, it's it's complicated. But that being said, the music and the lyrics, I mean, they go together. One thing leads to another. And when you when you don't look at it on such a minute scale, when you pull back a little, you know, when you're not George Bizet doing pointillism, bum, 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 mm-hmm. you know, one spot at a time, when you're actually looking at the picture as a whole, mm-hmm. Oh, okay, it all clicks in. And I think that's the beauty and the the brilliance of Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim is it just it gels all together. And then you bring in Arthur Lorenz's brilliant book that sets up and leads mm-hmm. out of these great songs. There's a reason why this show is just such an epic work. It There is no low point. You don't get let down at one moment or the other. Yeah, there's Everything, no... Everything leads to the next. And there's always a gimmick and there's always a wink and a nod or there's something else to mm-hmm. lead each scene. I mean, I'm I'm thinking right now, one of the things I love is when they go to the Chinese restaurant and she steals the silverware. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, there, there's no rhyme or reason why she steals the silverware, but she does it because it's it's compulsive. Mm-hmm. That's what she's always done, even though she's not in a place that she needs to do it. But she does not it. And it's like, that's the brilliant... Arthur Lorentz was full, he fully realized that world. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that wasn't that he didn't see. He took into account everything, and I think that's why it was so solid. Is he could mm-hmm. he was evaluating everything that every character was seeing and feeling and 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 in the past
1: before the show even started. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, here's the question I'd like to pose just while we're on that subject because this show was written because Ethel Merman wanted it to be done. You know what I mean? And so sometimes I just have to stop and think, like, would this show also have been as great of a success had she not been one of the producers and the lead? Yes, You think so?
0: Yes, I can tell you why. She want, she might have wanted it to be written, but I still think it would have been written without her. I think she wanted it to be written as a... Uh, I think Arthur Lorenz and them were going to write it anyway. I think Merman just got on board as a producer and it to be... And I don't know, I'd have to do more research in this. We've, we've, we've told all of you before, if you want perfect facts, you need to go somewhere else. This is just our best intuition and some of the quick research There's we do. There's too
1: many shows to go that depth into it. Our, but hey, that's why we have dramaturgy, right? Our, our
0: purpose here is to talk to you about our experience. But I believe this was supposed to be like a vehicle for Merman. hmm You know? Um, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you who would have stepped in if Merman? if it wasn't Merman? Arthur Lorenz, Jules Stein, Stephen Sondheim would have still written the show. And maybe not Jules Stein. It might have just been Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, could have, you know, but, and it would easily have been the woman who played Ethel Merman's understudy in Call Me Madam Elaine Stritch.
1: Ah, uh, you know, in my mind, I always forget Elaine Stritch as a younger performer. I always think of her in company. Right,
0: right. Always. And, and as an old, older woman, it's the little things you do together. In fact, I'm in the middle of reading her biography right now, which is really fascinating. Her and Merman, not so much getting along together. Um, but she is such a character, and I could see her in this role. And actually, when I was at the gym and I was reading this book and I'm reading about her, how she's understanding Merman and Call Me Madam, I actually thought about that where I went, I wonder what. Elaine Stritch would have done had she been the original Gypsy. Like that, you know, if you could go back in time and recast it, like that could have been real interesting because she was a hell of a performer. Mm-hmm. And even in her younger days, she gave it all. Um, she was very tempestuous, not tempestuous, but I, she was brilliant and smart and mm-hmm. really talented, but off stage she was a little bit much to handle. I mean, alcohol is a hell of a thing. But she was a brilliant artist, and she should nothing should be detracted from that.
1: Right. Well, and I will say another thing about this story that I just love is it brings out that Broadway diva. So whoever plays Rose has to be like that classic Broadway diva. Well, she starts at a 10,
0: and it has to go to a 20.
1: Exactly. And
0: that's why Patty LaPone was perfect. The energy has to start at a 10 and it has to go all the way up to a 20. We have to see that spiral, that madness. Because the show ends with this mental break with Rose's
1: turn. Because mm-hmm. you can't keep slamming your head into a wall constantly without something breaking.
0: Well, right. And I mean, that's the thing is the show might end with like an exhale... You know, where they come to terms in some form or fashion. But we have this explosion in Rose's Turn. And that's something that everyone loves to do because it's such a fun song, you know? can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many people when I went to school did that song. But here's the thing. You You have to commit 110%. If you give 109%, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So if you're going to have to end on this, like, I'm lighting the curtains on fire and throwing the the cats out the window and drowning the kids in the tub kind of thing, you have to start somewhere. And it can't... The show doesn't give that character a vehicle to accelerate from zero to that. So you have to already start doing 90 miles an hour to get to 110.
1: ten. Mm-hmm. And it takes a very strong performer to maintain right. that and not make it... Be- Like, because here's the thing about Rose is she is definitely that chaotic energy and it is hard. She's trying to control
0: the world around her, but she has no control over herself.
1: Exactly. But that's that thing about people who have extreme chaotic energy is it can be overwhelming really fast. So we still have to fall in love with Rose enough to be able to keep watching. And so exactly. the fact that you have someone who has all this chaotic energy but can still make it lovable is just a stroke of brilliance that comes from, the, like we talked about, the synergy with the music, lyrics, and books, but then also to take the right performer to be able to be Rose.
0: Right. You have to, you have to love, their, love them for their faults, essentially, not love them for their good intentions. Exactly. Because really, at the end of the day, there's no good intention behind Mm -hmm. it. She might say, I'm trying to make my daughter a star. No, she's trying to make her a star. Right, and she's following... Living vicariously through her children. Because
1: she was too afraid to go out there and do it herself. And it's easier
0: to push someone else than it is to do it yourself. Yep. Um, Just two more things I want to mention about the design and whatnot. The sets and the props were amazing, especially when we were flipping from the show to the backstage, which was great. It was very simple, but it did the trick. Some footlights showed in the stage, and then we flipped around. There were some crates and boxes. Now we're backstage. We had a table and a couple chairs to show the Chinese restaurant.
1: I I, I was going to say, that's the nice thing about the majority of the show being taking place in a theater. Well, and the impressive thing is that this show is
0: in the St. James Theater, which is actually one of the larger theaters. But for all of you at home, fun fact, the St. James Stage itself is actually not as big as you think it is. Yeah. We got to to go on a backstage chore in another show with a friend of ours, which we'll talk about when we get to that show. But getting to see it, it was like, oh. It's tiny. Oh. I mean, it's, it's wide, but it's not deep. It's deep. So it's one of those like, oh, okay. Um, but then also on the lights, they were balanced, they were beautiful, and the stage wasn't completely lit when it didn't need to be, which I think also helped with that. And I love the spot, the classic spotlight during Rose's tees. When she's having her mental break, you know, hi, my name's Rose, what's yours? And there's like this perfect spotlight on her so that she's not, I don't know, it's not the classic spot, be, you know, there's someone on stage and I have to light them. It's that burlesque spot. It, well, and sense. it's
1: its kind of, this is going to sound crazy, but follow me on this. It's the insanity spotlight. It's the one that when well, it goes on, you can tell that you're living in a world between what's real and what's kind not. Kind of.
0: It's, well, no, I was thinking more of like that classic vaudeville spot. Like the cabaret. Think about that spot that it doesn't light the performer from head to toe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it starts with just her face, but then it goes to her face and waist. Mm-hmm. And it's less about lighting the actor and more about creating an image. Yes. You know? the As she spirals more into her delusion, her insanity, the rest of the lighting comes in. And I know what you're talking about. And it creates that... It literally creates like that foggy, like re- dream re- world. Like yeah. we're in
1: between reality and not.
0: That limbo where like, we have no idea where we're at.
1: This show has seen some legendary cast members, including Miss Patti Lapone, hey, La- hey. Laura Bonatti, uh, Tony Yezbek.
0: Other productions saw the likes of Ethel Merman, Bernadette Peters, Brooks Shanks. Asch- I can never say his last name. Uh, Michael McCormick, Tyne Daly and Angela Lansbury.
1: Now, I know we've started trickling into it, but let's discuss the theatrical impact. I mean, it, it's, it. I mean, we've already talked, touched on it. Like it's the progression of the book. And this is, you know, where we started to, you know, this is during when we really started to play with what we could do with storytelling. Like, did we have to have a linear story or, uh, sorry, a linear story that was, you know, obviously how time was passing or could we do kind of this weird montage like strangeness that you get in you know may we entertain you where the girls are getting older but they're not getting older if that makes any sense it
0: created the modern american musicals we know it today in regards to story and music like before i feel like the songs didn't necessarily push the story there was a commentary or it was a song to sing or it was like a monologue
1: yeah you kind of think back to like ragtime
0: well no no i wouldn't go to ragtime okay i'd go to oklahoma
1: okay okay yeah. you
0: know sometimes it was just like everything's up to date in kansas city that doesn't do anything to further the story but he's telling us where he's been i can't uh i'm just a girl that can't say no that's just telling us about her that doesn't really further the show there are songs in this show that actually further or give us more in-depth information that will help push the story along. You know, why do the, if Mama were married, why do these girls want Mom to be married? Everything's Coming Up Roses. That's the first break of Rose. Why is that a significant? Um, and then, of course, there was no Dream Ballet. A lot of these shows had big dance numbers. This one didn't have a big dance number like that. Mm-mm. And so if you think about the American musical, the American, modern American musicals, we know it today, it kind of got its start here with Gypsy, where it's like you need a solid story. And from there, we're going to put songs that are going to help push it along. And uh, when it doesn't work, when this idea doesn't work. I'm going to go out here and say something very controversial. That's when you get a jukebox musical that doesn't work. When people pick songs and then build a story around it versus picking the story and putting songs in. When you just want to hear music, but you don't want to hear a story. Nobody wants to go see a show that doesn't have a good story. That's true. You know, and so I think that's where Gypsy comes in. I also think it gave the theater iconic songs. And I think it's songs that we all, whether it be not just theater, but entertainment as a whole draws on. I can think of so many other shows that have ripped from that, you know, Simpsons, Family Guy, or, or what have you, Glee, everything like that. They've drawn from uh, from uh, 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 the music of this. In fact, I'm thinking of uh, something rotten right now, actually, um, when he goes to the alley. Ba, 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 yeah. ba. It's the opening. I had a dream, a dream about you. Right. You know? Um, it, this music, this story, it's one of those like we look to. I think it's like a Phantom of the Opera, or uh, a chorus line. It's one of those story, those things in the theater that, if we looked at a timeline, boom, there'd be a notch. Like this is Gypsy.
1: This is, yeah.
0: It wouldn't be a footnote. So that's where I think it's left its huge theatrical impact. And that leads me into societal impact, you know? Like I said, the hit songs from it have been referenced all over cabaret, all over pop culture. I guarantee if you walked to any cabaret bar in New York, I'm sure someone's singing something from Gypsy.
1: Well, and this, the concept of the dance mom or the stage parent, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... How many times Rose... has
0: someone been called a Gypsy Rose Lee? Stop being a Gypsy Rose Lee.
1: Which is funny because Gypsy Rose Lee is actually the, Louise. The
0: but, I mean, what they're getting at is, you know, the, the mom, which I find funny, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's kind of like a lot of people think that, you know, Frankenstein is the creature and it's, it's like the it's the doctor yeah. yeah it's that same thing like they think gypsy is the mom and it's like no 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 Well, to that extent, the
0: i think this this story tells the story of a lesser known theater icon burlesque is theater and if it weren't for this we wouldn't really know who gypsy rose lee or her mother was mm-hmm. you know and i think that's important i think burlesque and the arts of burlesque need to be told their stories be- uh they need to be told because Especially from this time period. I mean, have the, their, their art form demonized.
1: Well, and especially oh. when you start getting people, you know, like Mae West... Um, maybe wasn't exactly burlesque, but she definitely was burlesque. She dabbled in it. Yeah, and just this whole uh, idea that happened, you know, adjacent to the vaudeville scene was the burlesque scene where you had the, um, oh my gosh, what were they called? Obscenity laws. Yes. A lot of people don't know about the obscenity laws. and
0: Which were just completely ridiculous, but right, but to by understand, standards.
1: Right, but to understand how the the... The set the the wheels in motion for where we eventually got with the uh, the Stonewall Riots, like reverse, like clear back to starting during this like burlesque era. Well, and a
0: lot of thing, a lot of rights, and a lot of things with the union come from the burlesque as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Um and I also feel that this latest revival helped bring the Golden air musica a golden era musical into the 21st century um, still. And, and what's significant is it's still being helmed by one of the original creators in Arthur Lorentz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that the golden era musical wasn't in the 21st century, but I feel like, and look, I could be naive and I can be wrong. And you know, what? if I'm wrong, send us an email. And I'll be wrong. That's fine. But I don't recall a golden era musical that everybody was like, oh, my God. Now, it could be Patti Lepone, But, I mean, everybody knows Gypsy. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, we all know Oklahoma and all that, but everybody knows Gypsy. And for it to make such a huge
1: return. I mean, to be revived again and again and again to and have again. have this huge success
0: off-Broadway
1: at, uh, oh, I can't remember where
0: it was done at first. I, I wanted it. It's not second stage. Uh it's escaping me now, but to be done there and then to be done, to be brought to Broadway and just have such a great run. I mean, yeah. So final question then, is the show still relevant? I mean, absolutely.
1: I mean, this, this classic story of, you know, living vicarious through your children, that's a timeless story.
0: It couldn't be any more important than now, right? Right. Um, it's it's legendary. Uh, it's a cash cow, a barn burner, a smash. It's popular with all audiences.
1: And if you don't know Gypsy and you haven't seen Gypsy, as soon as you see it, you become obsessed.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes we just need to see a classic story, a familiar story to escape with, you know? And... And this is, like, one of those shows, like, you know, the great works of Shakespeare and whatnot, the actors, like, strive for. This is one of those shows that the great actors of in, our, in mm-hmm. theater want to play. And so it brings out the best talent. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, okay, so we've got Patti LuPone to play it. Okay, who's next in, in, the, in the lineup that's going to step up and play Herbie and Louise and Rose? Like, who's going to step up and play these roles? I'm excited to see... Who our next rose is? Who who is that person out there? Mm-hmm. I, in fact, listener, I would be interested. Comment on our Facebook or our Twitter or Instagram or send us an email. Who do you think would make the if, if when they remount when they mount the next uh, revival? Who do you think would make the be- best uh, uh rose? Yeah, because that would uh, that's an interesting question. I'm I'm gonna lead. Part of me wants
1: to lead towards um.
0: I can see your face. She's... Stephanie J. Block? I didn't even think of her. Yeah.
1: Stephanie J. Block for yeah, sure. I was
0: thinking of, what's her name she played in The King and I?
1: Oh, um.
0: Kelly O'Hara. Yes. But Stephanie J. Block.
1: Oh. She has that character down. Or
0: Sutton Foster.
1: Sutton Foster. Sutton. But I think Stephanie J.
0: Block has more of that mom Yes, to her.
1: Yes, I definitely. Agree. Oh, I didn't even
0: think of her.
1: You're welcome. Oh, that
0: would be. So then, who would play Louise?
1: Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Um,
0: Courtney Abinage. no, no. Um, <laughs> love Courtney.
1: Um,
0: Louise, a younger, I mean, a younger
1: ingenue. Well, part of me was thinking Laura Osans, but eh nah not necessarily she's too Disney princess
0: the thing is, is I think the next gypsy that they do okay hold on I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out something here uh oh she's playing Persephone in Hadestown be a Great Rose yes because the next gypsy they're gonna do is gonna have POCs yes Norm Lewis is gonna play Herbie you think so there, there it is. Tell us what you think out there. I, we want to hear from you. Like, this is fun. This is fun. I can't wait to see it. Christopher
1: Jackson would make a good...
0: Christopher Jackson would make a really good... Herbie. Uh, oh, you know, Philippa Sue could also be a good Louise. You know, she could. She would make a, a decent Louise, yeah. Uh, oh, and Carrie Butler could also make <gasps> a really good Rose.
1: Carrie Butler, though? I would like to see Carrie Butler as Dainty June. I could
0: just see Carrie Butler, like, read a catalog
1: honestly <laughs> I so. freaking love Carrie Butler <laughs> We wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So I had the privilege of seeing the show back in 2008. And I talk a really mean game of seeing the show, but I've actually only ever seen the movie. So (laughs) I
0: won't, I mean, this won't be a huge long one, but I got to see Patti LaPone, Laura Bonatti. It was amazing. Um, But I will never forget, I saw a matinee performance of this and I did not appreciate Gypsy for what it was when I saw it. Little 19-year-old me just did not have the brain to understand, first of all, what Gypsy was or the fact that I was seeing Patty Lapone. But I remember uh, being at the matinee and um, sitting there, and an announcement came on. And said, Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to inform you, uh, Miss Patty Lapone sprained her ankle earlier in a rehearsal, and you heard an entire theater just oh because we thought you know oh she's not going to be on tonight today and they went but she will still be going on but she may not be performing all of the moves she is blocked to do and everyone just (laughs) laughed like yeah so praise the lord you know and patty lapone was absolutely phenomenal absolutely phenomenal you
1: know what we haven't talked about speaking of patty lapone being phenomenal in this role oh wait hold on i'm getting there Okay.
0: <laughs> so, after the show, I did the Kiss and Cry line, Laura Bonatti, Patti Lapone, signing autographs. And someone did do the clap back, the call back to her famous line when she won the Tony Award. Where they were so happy to see her and said, you finally did it. It's been 29 years, damn it. You know, and 29 years. She was long overdue and she earned that Tony Award.
1: Mm-hmm. And... If-
0: than some.
1: One of my favorite Tony Award acceptance speeches I've ever seen, because as she's going, she the music is playing to be like, hey, wrap it up, and she just like being the diva that she is, and I mean that Shut that that music up! It's been 29 years! And when I say Broadway diva, like, I don't mean like, oh my god, that's a diva. No, I mean like, Queen, let me kiss, yes, let me kiss the ground you walk on, your excellence, like
0: royalty. For all of you out there, a couple things you should know. First of all, look up Patty Lapone's acceptance speech from the 2008 Tony Awards. You will not regret it. Second of all, go out and read Patty Lapone's autobiography. <laughs> you will also not regret it. You'll learn about the Angeloid Webber pool. Um, she is a hilarious human being. She is a hilarious human being. If this pandemic has taught us anything, as we've seen in the videos of Patty Lapone, she's hilarious. Furthermore, she is such a genuinely kind human being. The things that she does backstage for cast and crew members is out of this world. The birthdays she remembers, the gifts she gets people. And then me when I've like met met her at another show, the time she took and just how genuinely sweet she was. Patti Lapone is a saint and I understand why people love her and the performances she gives and the energy she gives. She is a... Every single performance. She is just... She is a woman that knew what she wanted to do from the word go and she just gives it her all and she's just a legend. She earns everything with it and she plays the tuba. (laughs) (laughs) So as things begin to return to normal and the theater world continues to turn its lights back on, we look forward to returning to see the show again.
1: You'll be able to catch Gypsy at a theater near you, hopefully this fall, someone I'm sensing a Gypsy revival.
0: I'm come on now. We also want to encourage all of our listeners out there to continue to help foster the performing arts wherever you are by purchasing tickets to a live event.
1: Please join us as we continue to raise the curtain on this long overdue second act.
0: We'd also like to give a quick update. I'm so excited to get to say this. A quick update on the reopening of Broadway.
1: Congrats to the Company of Passover, now playing at the August Wilson Theater.
0: Welcome back to the cast of Chicago, now playing at the Ambassador Theater.
1: Back on Broadway, Hadestown, eight times a week at the Walter Kerr Theater.
0: Back at the Richard Rogers Theater, we welcome Hamilton. Back to Broadway.
1: Manhattan Theatre Company reopens at the Samuel J. Friedman Theatre with Lackawanna Blues now playing.
0: Disney's The Lion King is now entertaining audiences at the Minskoff Theatre.
1: Sarah Bareilles' hit musical Waitress is serving up laughter and joy at the Ethel Barrymore Theatre.
0: Come Soar
1: with the cast of Wicked, which is now open at the Gershwin Theatre. Happy official opening to the cast of Six the Musical, now playing at the Brooks Atkins Theater.
0: Welcome back, David Byrne's American Utopia, playing a limited run at the St. James Theater. We are so excited that Broadway is turning its lights back on. Let me say that again. It's, not, it's worth saying it again. We are so <laughs> excited that Broadway is turning its lights back on. and can't wait to share in the magic of the Great White Way.
1: We will be sharing special episodes when we return to New York City in a few weeks.
0: And speaking of New York City in a few weeks, make sure you tune in Sunday, September 26, CBS and Paramount Plus to the Tony Awards. That's right, friends. The Theater High Holy Day back at you.
1: Starting
0: um, starting at... Uh, I think it's six o'clock. We're going to find out for sure on the next episode on CBS with the Tony Awards hosted by Audra McDonald, followed by a special concert, Broadway Back, hosted by Leslie Odom Jr. on Paramount Plus. And I know it's on two different platforms, two different networks. I get it. I know there's some discrepancy. But guys, the Tony Awards and Broadway Back.
1: I mean, we're ushering fall in. We're ushering the theater back in. We get a special September I can't edition wait. I of can't the wait. the Tony Awards. And Audra
0: McDonald. Speaking of legends, Uh, so until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez,
1: and I'm Hope Bird,
0: reminding you to turn off your cell phones,
1: unwrap your candies, and
0: keep talking about the theater
1: in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at StageWhisperPod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Quantum Jazz, Kevin McLeod, Mela. U.S. Army Blues and Billy Murray.